Good morning, EBC. So good to see y'all in the house of worship one more time. And I thank God for each and every one of you. We're going to go um, into the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And I told you a few weeks back that we'll be pulling some nuggets from our study uh, in this book. Um, because we, we, there's a lot of rich biblical gospel truths that are embedded in the book of Hebrews. And we know that all scripture is inspired by God. And it is profitable for reproof, for instruction, uh, for correction. Uh, all those things that are necessary in order for us to be who God desires and wants us to be. So as we've been studying this book on, on Wednesday, I thought it good uh, to pull out some nuggets from Hebrews. And we've talked about some things about faith. We talked about, you know, understanding the, the three guy wires for faith because the Bible says uh, we have need of, of patience after we receive the promise that we, after we've done the will of God, we might receive the promise. It also told us to follow those who through faith and patience have inherited the promises. And so I think it's crucially important that we grasp those concepts, but not only grasp them intellectually, but to grasp them uh, in our hearts and our minds. Because how many of y'all know it's, you, you can come to church and you can get into intellectually uh, 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 girded up in your mind. You can know what scripture says. You can, uh, you can uh, exegete a text. You can probably teach the lesson. But the problem comes in is when we learn all this stuff, when we're taught all this stuff and we have head knowledge, but we never put that head knowledge into shoe leather. Y'all know what I'm talking about when I say shoe leather? That's an old, old folks term. Shoe leather, in other words, we don't walk it out. Are you with me? So one of, one of my fears is, is that as a pastor, uh, I may be shepherding people who have intellectual knowledge, but they're not, they're, they're stuck at the intellectual level. They don't get the word in it from their head down their hearts, so they may not sin against God. And, they, and they, they can hear the word, they can grasp it, they can understand it, but if it makes them uncomfortable to do the word, they just don't do it. If it's something that, that, that they don't deem that they want to do, I'm saying they, or we want to do, Many times we just kind of ignore it. But I, I got I to let you know this as your under-shepherd. As your under-shepherd, I have been called to exhort you and to challenge you and to feed you. So being the guy that I am and being the person that God called here, I got to continue to exhort you to not only understand this stuff from the word of God, but to begin to Put it into action. Are you with me today? Love is a what? Action word. And we got to begin to show that we love God, not just talk about it and, and pontificate about it. We got to become doers of the word. Now, listen to me carefully. I know that sometimes it can be difficult when we're not used to doing things that the word of God has told us to do. But because something is difficult doesn't mean that it's impossible for you to do. You just have to have a willing heart. The thing that really scares me about some believers, and, and, and you have to make sure that you really know what it means to be a believer, is when your heart becomes so hardened and so uh, uh, calcified. Can I use that word? 
become so calcified that the word, the seed of the word hits and just bounces off. And you're okay with that. Let me tell you something. Even as a born-again believer, when I find myself making sinful choices and, and falling into sin, I, I never could get comfortable in sin. Oh, don't y'all look at me like that. Since you've been born again, you've made some sinful choices. and You have to battle sin every day of the week, don't you? Amen? But, but, but to, if you get comfortable in your disobedience, you better check your heart. All of us got to check and evaluate where we really stand. So look, look at Hebrews 12 chapter. I'm sorry for, for going on, but I tell you, I, I, I'm thankful uh, for the privilege to be here. And I, you know what? I, I made it up in my mind a long time ago that I was going to enjoy my Christian journey. I will, I, I, why would I follow God and not be able to experience his joy? So all of you Christians who are going to be fuddy-duddies, who are going to be mean-mugging folks, you're in the wrong church. Amen? We're going to love on people, uh, even when we don't necessarily agree with them in a lot of areas. You know, you, you, listen, <laughs> everything that I do as a, as a pastor, you may not necessarily agree with, all right? But, but if it's in the word, let's follow. I got news for it. There's some time God tells me stuff to do I don't want to do. Did you, did you hear me? There's some things that God tells me in this word that in my flesh, I really don't want to do it. But you know what? Because I made a commitment to him, I'm going to let my flesh take a subservient role to my spirit man. Because my spirit man is what's reborn. Are y'all with me today? All right, so Hebrews 12 chapter. Um, let's look at, start at verse number one. And this, this is the chapter we uh, sort of uh, were uh, finishing up this section and we, we get ready to knock the, the remaining uh, parts of this lesson out on Wednesday night. But listen to what it says. Wherefore, seeing we also accomplish about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with what? There's that word again. Run with what? How many hours since we were talking about patience have had your patience tested? Anybody? So the devil came quick to, to, to take that, snatch that seed of the word away, didn't it? <laughs> Can I tell y'all a little story about myself and my wife? See, y'all don't mind me talking about me, do you? As a matter of fact, I think some of y'all want to know about me and my wife. We had, we had date night on Friday. Talking about patience. Uh, we had date night, and usually on, on Friday nights are our date nights. And we're on date night, and we went and watched the movie, enjoyed ourselves, and then we, 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 hap- we happened to meet up at, at, the park, at, the, at the movie theater. And so we were getting ready to uh, come back home. Not, I'm going to tell you how silly this was, but, but sometimes silly stuff happens, and I learned how to gain lessons out of silly stuff. I, I need to see the hand of every person in here who's in relationship with anybody, whether it's your mama, your daddy, your sister, your brother, your husband, your wife. I've had some silly stuff happen, and when you look back on you just laugh and say, how stupid was that? <laughs> so Marrera and I uh, were getting ready to come back home, and, and, and we were getting ready to go out the parking lot, and she pointed to me. She was going to follow me. I said, no, I'll follow you today. She pointed back, you want me to go first? I said, no, you go first. You sure? No, you go first. So she pulls out the parking lot. And she goes, Jeff, in a different direction than what we normally go when we go home. 
So me being me, not understanding how it is she wants to go in a different direction than what we customarily go, or under the way I would have drove us back home. So I call up, hey, where are you going? Now, we know we're going home, but my question to her was, why, basically, why are you going this way? I didn't say that, but I said, where are you going? As if I didn't know where. Any y'all ever asked a question, but you really, I said, where are you going? Well, we just said we were going home, but she went a different way. She was going to loop around 220 and come all the way up, you know, 31, 32, 220 to Benton Road, north of uh, 220 there, okay? But I would have went the other way. Over Jimmy Davis Bridge, Arthur Ray Teague Parkway, cruise up Airline Drive, all the way to Linton Road, and come on home. Are y'all with me? We've done that before? Or I would have went up Uri Drive, come on, hit I-20, go Benton Road, hit Kingston Road, go to Palmetto, and then Linton Road. <laughs> but she decided to go 220. And, and listen, she was sleeping, and she's sleeping, I, my wife gets a little grouchy. How many of y'all get grouchy when you get sleepy? <laughs> Let me see the hands there. So, so, so listen, here's, here's the silliness of it. This is our date night, and we get a little, little tiffy with each other because of the direction that we're going home. Now, when you think back on that, you think, how silly is that? But thank God, it didn't last long. And by the time we got home, we were good. But we hung the phone up and said, okay. That was it. But see, she thought about it and I thought about it. And then we got home, we're like, okay, we're good. Now, listen, y'all look at me like this. How many of y'all out here in this audience have had some silly stuff happen and you with your born-again, tongue-talking, Bible-marking, church-dancing stuff Say it or did something silly. Huh? Huh? Oh, I'm not, it, it may not be with your spouse, but with anybody else. Guys, listen to me. And, and really, it was, it was a patience thing. It was, it was, it was a what-I-would-have-done thing. And all that just rolled up. And because we were not on our game mindset-wise, it caused a little tension there. It was, nothing was said. Nobody cussed. But how many of y'all know when there's tension between you and another person? All right? So that little silly thing happened, but we got to learn how to have patience when someone disagrees with us or does something different than us and not go off the, off the, off the deep, deep end. Can I get a witness? So, so, so we look at this. It says, wherefore, <laughs> we also accomplish by so great a crowd of witnesses, thus lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily set us. A weight is something that's not necessarily sinful, but it is something that slows you down from running your race. It's something in your life, whether it's a person, a hobby, or whatever, that slows you down from reading your Bible. That slows you down from being connected with your church body. Something that slows you down, but it's not necessarily sin. It says weight and sin, which does so easily throws us off track. That's, that's Doyle Adams' interpretation. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Watch this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied 
and faint in your minds. See, a lot of times we give up in our minds. We faint, we, we turn loose the promises of God mentally first. We start letting the thoughts from the enemy perpetrate our minds and snatch out the word of God that's been placed there. That's why the Bible says, hide the word in your heart. The psalmist said, thy word have I hid in my mind? No, no, no. If you keep it in your mind, the devil will come and mess with your mind. Thy word have I hid where? In my heart that I may not sin against the God. Next verse, let's go. You have not yet resisted in the blood, striving against sin. Next verse. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Next verse. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he received. Let's look at those last two verses, five and six, from the New Living Translation. Talking about the discipline of the church this morning. This is something that we, we're gleaning from our, our study. Now watch this again. It says, and have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't give up when he corrects you. How many of you know that if you belong to God, God will correct you? Oh, I thank God for that. Watch this, watch this next verse. It says, for the Lord disciplined those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Okay, let's start to unpack this a little bit. Now, those of you who've been around for any prolonged period of time understand and know that the mission of the church is to go and to make disciples. Is that right? right. The primary reason that we come together as a body of believers is for discipleship. Everybody say discipleship. And the principles of discipleship are threefold in nature, okay? Can we talk a little bit? Threefold in nature. Number one, first we are to go. Everybody say go. Matthew, the 20th chapter, talks about going into all the world, you know, preaching the gospel and teaching and training and developing and discipling those who, who, who accept that message of faith. We are to go. We call this evangelism. Everybody say evangelism. You cannot make a person a disciple until that person has become a child of God, a born-again believer, first and foremost. When Jesus said go, he was telling us to reach out to the lost. Go doesn't necessarily mean you're going to Africa or going whatever. Go, go means as you go in your individual lives, as you go on a missionary journey, as you go about doing life, we should be looking for opportunities to evangelize somebody who does not know Jesus. And the question you got to accept is this, in the comings and goings of your everyday existence, how often do you think about reaching the lost? In your day-to-day existence, how often do you look for opportunities to deposit the truth that you receive into the hearts and the mind of somebody who does not know Jesus? See, if, if, if as a Christian, you rarely, if ever, think about evangelism, you rarely, if ever, think about the lost, there is something that has to be transformed in the way you think about life. Because if Jesus told us to do that very thing, and we're not even thinking about it one iota, the only time we think about it is when we come to church on Sunday, there is a problem. So first, we are to go. 
Secondly, we are to baptize. The Greek word baptize means to, it's the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse something. It was used when, a, really, in, in the root term, it was used when a dye maker would color clothing by dipping it into the desired dye color. How many of y'all ever colored your hair before? Oh, come on, sisters. How, let me put it this way. How many of y'all ever dyed your hair before? We oftentimes laugh. Um, this elderly woman that grew up in Marysdom hometown, uh, ha- ha- she was probably 80-something years old and her hair was black. And they asked her, sister, how do you keep your hair so black? She said, if you live right, your hair stay black. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something. When you get north of 55 or 60, gray is coming your way. I don't care what you do. You may cut it off like I do, but gray is coming. You can live right all you want to, but Father Time will catch up with every last one of us. Can I get one witness up in here? Can I get a witness from a 50-year-old? Can I get a witness from a 60-year-old? Can I get a witness from a 70-year-old? How about my 80-year-olds in here? How about my old 90s? Yeah. Father Time catches all of us. But, 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 but. Baptism means to dip to immerse. The, the, the dye maker would color clothing by dipping into the desired dye color. The word points to a new identity. God has a serious problem with the person who refuses to be identified with him. God has a serious problem with a person who refuses to be identified with him. So second, we ought to baptize. Baptism is an outward profession of an inward transformation. It identifies us with the body of Christ. We're saying, I've died to the old man, and now I've been resurrected to the new man. And now I'm going to walk in newness of life. So I want to know how many of y'all are being identified with him. If someone were to look at you, if I were to ask somebody who knows you outside of church, what would they tell me about you? Your character, your makeup, the way you you present yourself, the way you share with people. what, What would they tell me? So first we are to go, second we are to baptize, and thirdly we find that we are to teach. Jesus said we are to teach them to observe things, all to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So we are to teach. So go, baptize, and teach. Everybody say go, go. Baptize, baptize, teach. So sum it all up. We are to win them, we must identify them, and then we must train them. We got to win them. Identify them and then train them. I've said this before and I've, all the things I've been studying, I've been talking to pastors locally. I've been reading uh, church dem- de- demographic trends that are happening in this country at the very present time. And it, without, without fail, it's been recognized that the church has done a very average or below average job of disciple, disciple making. Now we haven't, we've been okay with Church going, church assembling, but guys, let me tell you something. In this church, we have a mandate to become disciple makers. And that means you got to get out of your comfort zone because the very nature of being a disciple maker is, first of all, you have to be a disciple. And if you're going to be a disciple maker, you got to connect with people who need to be disciple. And the reality is, to be honest about it, 
Some in the church are not comfortable with somebody who, who's not already gutted and clean and fried and dyed and ready to put in the grease. <laughs> Did y'all get the reference there? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Amen. Jeff and I got an inside joke here. <laughs> He's learning some of these references, these colloquial phrases that I utilize. He said, don't change it, don't change it. I want to I learn. I want to learn. You know, win them, identify them, train them. Everybody say win them, identify them, train them. You know, I was happy when my three children were born, Tanya, Sandra, and Doyle Jr. When they were born to this world, I was happy as a father. Amen? But I was even happier when they asked Jesus Christ to come into their hearts and save them. Are y'all with me today? But when they asked Christ to come in their heart to save them, they, like all of us, had a process of growth that needed to take place. I remember some years ago, I gave an analogy about the joy of parenthood being mixed with the stink of dirty diapers. That went over somebody's head right quick. The joy of parenthood being mixed with the, <laughs> with the stink of dirty diapers. Now, I can remember when our kids were growing up when they were babies. I was not one who was big on changing a diaper when the baby did number two. Y'all know what number two is? Something like, oh, Lord, why did he say that? I was not a, a fan of, uh, <laughs> of, of changing the diaper when the baby did number two. And, it's, it, and it was almost like Marrera was trying to train me. Because whenever I was with the kids or left them or is that night or whatever, I'll, I'll be the one in, in the townhouse to go down the stairs and get the bottle and then have to change the baby at night. Uh, but but I, was, I, I, didn't, I didn't like it. I was like, why do you got to do this? But it's a part of our human body because we have, to, we have to pass waste, come on, out of our bodies. Come on, medical folks, give me just a nod, make sure I ain't off. Play. Yeah. If, if you don't do number two, you're, you, 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 you can't live without doing number two. Are y'all tracking with me? I can handle number one, but I had to be trained a little bit to do number two. Can I get a witness? Even though I didn't like changing the dirty diaper when it was number two, and some of those little rascals could stink to high heaven. Make you want to fall out when you go in the room. But, you know, it's amazing what you will do when you love a thing. It's amazing what you will do when you love a person. Can I get a witness? It's amazing what you will put up with when you love the one who you're walking with. I think that's a blues song on the way, ain't it? It is amazing. What's true in the physical realm is also true in the spirit realm. When a person accepts Christ as personal Savior, it's an exciting time, just like a newborn baby. But there is also a downside to it when the diaper begins to stink. Let's go look at an illustration in the Bible where somebody had a stinky diaper. I, I, I just hope that doesn't throw you off the whole message. But go to 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. I, I, I reference this quite a bit because we're talking about the discipline of the church. And 
we got to realize that when the writer to the Hebrews was telling them that whom the Lord loveth, he chastened them. We got to recognize that we belong to God and we get outside the will of God. God, because he loves us, will come and change our diaper. Because we, we, we've been stinking for too long. How long will you continue to stink with the stink stench of unforgiveness? How long will you continue to stink with the stench of, uh, of a hardened heart. How long will you continue to, to stink with the stench of, of a lazy mindset when it comes to the things of God? How long? First Corinthians, the fifth chapter, verse number one. Glory to God. You don't have to be in ministry long to know that saints get dirty too. One of the roles of the church it's to help change your clothes when you mess up. Are y'all with me? The church is to discipline sin and restore saints to a vibrant life and fellowship with God. The areas of discipline and restoration is one of the most difficult and most, might I add, most neglected areas of church ministry. Why is that, Brother Pastor? Because we're afraid of it. We tend to be intimidated by it. But yet, it's all throughout Scripture. Nowadays, we say, well, you know, uh, you know, you know uh, 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 who are you to judge me? I ain't judging you. I'm going to judge the sin, though. Just like I expect you to judge the sin in my life. If I got up here and start preaching and start cussing all y'all out for 30 minutes, somebody ought to come get me. Somebody ought to cut the mic off and come get me. Brother, you say, well, you know, Pastor, he, yeah, yeah, he, he told him this morning, though, didn't he? <laughs> See, some of y'all wouldn't come get it because you do the same thing at home. And that's why you feel like you can't come get me because you cussing up a storm at home. Mm. Can we keep moving? We tend to be afraid of it. We're intimidated by it. But yet it's all throughout the scripture. It's, it's non-negotiable. Discipline and restoration are not options. They are commands. Watch the text here. And I, I, I just, I want to read this to Guys, I, I, listen, I gave you some glimpses. We're going to hit all this today, but I'm not going to leave you hanging. Next week we'll come back and talk about how, the how-to of some of this stuff. But I got to set, set it up today. And I've, I've, I've learned myself. That, that, that times when I, I, I put too much down on paper and I don't get to all of it. So I just gave you a little, some nuggets today, okay? Y'all, can y'all, are y'all flowing with me today? Church discipline, according to what Hebrews told us, is a thing that the body of believers, that the church of Lord Jesus Christ, that this local assembly, EBC and Benton, should engage in for the benefit of each one of us in here. Now watch this, what's happening. You all know the story. Who, who's the writer of the first Corinthians? The Apostle Paul is. He's writing to the church at Corinth. Everybody say the church. church. At Corinth. Now watch this. Are y'all ready to read? I'm going to go down through this real quickly. We'll read the whole chapter, but I need you to flow with me. And I want you to think about church, the discipline of the church. And what what Paul is going to tell this church at Corinth. Y'all ready? Because uh, I'm afraid... 
that many of our churches have negated church discipline as a result. Uh, the, the, the power of the gospel is not flowing the way it should. The power of the Holy Spirit is not moving the way it should because a little leaven leavens a whole lump. Watch the text. Y'all know this. Let's read. It says, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even pagans don't do. I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You're so proud of yourselves. <laughs> but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. And you should remove this man from your fellowship. Even though I'm not with you in person, I'm with you in the spirit. And as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man. What did Paul just say? What did Paul just say? I've passed judgment on this man. He's judging the man's actions. If you go to your mom's house or go wherever, go to the bank and rob the bank, and I call that sin because you robbed the bank. As a matter of fact, if you robbed the bank, the, the society is going to call it a crime. But this, just, just, about, just, just, it's just a far out example. But, but if you're going to rob the bank and I say, you're wrong for robbing that bank, don't, you can't come back and say, don't judge me. I just judge the sinful act, the criminal act. Well, you, maybe you won't rob a bank, but maybe you will cheat on your taxes. Maybe you don't cheat on your taxes, but you're bold enough to rob God. Maybe you don't rob God, but you're bold enough to harbor unforgiveness in your heart and won't release the person because they hurt you. I can keep going until I get to your house. I, I can keep going now. But I'm going to stop right there because I, I can keep going until I get, because everybody got something that we got to let God handle for us. He said, even though I'm not with you in person, I'm with you in the spirit. And as though I were there, I've already passed judgment on this man. Watch the next verse. It says, in the name of the Lord Jesus, you must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit. And so with the power of our Lord Jesus, watch the text. Then you must throw this man out. Now, let's understand the context here. This is not a situation where somebody had fallen into sin and were remorseful and repentant. This dude was openly rebellious, living in sin, the Bible says, with his stepmother. Ain't that a blip? And the church was silent. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to save him so that his sinful nature will be destroyed. But watch what it says. And he himself will be saved on the day the Lord's return. The Lord returns. This is church discipline because what he's trying to do is get this, get this guy's heart and mind right. Watch this next verse. Can we, can we keep going? Your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Keep going. Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Can we keep going? So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. 
when I wrote when I wrote to you before, watch this. I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. Now here you are running with a dude, and you know that dude got a side chick, and you covering for him when his wife calls looking for him, Christian. You covering for him. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we, we were out fishing on the lake and, you know, I, I, I thought we could get no good sales service. Dude wasn't even with you. But you lying for him. How many of y'all ever lied for somebody before? I don't, I don't want you to raise your hand because the, 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 the old example I, I used before the age of call ID, you picked the phone up and you didn't know who was calling. And when the person who was calling, you didn't want to talk to him. And, 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 and you told them to tell them I'm not here. That is a Because you are there. Now, it'd be different you say, I don't want to talk right now. I can't talk right now. But you didn't say that. You said, tell them I'm not here. Teaching your 10-year-old a lie. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. Next verse. But I wasn't, but I wasn't, I, I, Paul said, I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or who are greedy or who cheat people or who worship idols. You would have to leave the world to avoid people like that. But notice what he says. Next verse. Watch this. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin. Or is greedy, or who worships idols, or is who is abusive, or who's a drunkard, or a person who claims to be a believer who cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. I didn't make this up. This is what the Word of God says. Paul is dealing with this Corinthian church, which is full of baby Christians who were allowing things to permeate throughout the church, and it was causing the church's a, a, a witness to be uh, hindered. Don't even eat with such people. Watch the next verse. Watch what you said. Paul said, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. Why are we spending all this time as a church trying to judge sinners? We spend a whole lot of time trying to make up laws. And I, I believe in, in, in being law, having a nation of law. We are a nation that governed by rules of law. But why are we we get so stuck on, on, on laws thinking the law going to change the person's heart. Now, listen, God told us to be about establishing the kingdom. And the kingdom of God is not confined or confined to one nation on earth. Are y'all with me? Yes, be involved. Yes, civically, you know, vote. Everybody needs to vote. Vote your conscience. But the reality is, if you think a law is going to keep somebody from sinning, you miss the whole reason why Jesus came. You miss the whole message of the Bible. Because man couldn't keep the moral law, we needed someone to help us. We have need of a savior because we are we don't have the capacity in and of ourselves to keep all this book. But we all be caught trying. But the reality is we need all of us have need of a savior. 
if we could keep it all, we, there's no reason why Jesus didn't, wouldn't have had to come. Are y'all still with me? So he says, it, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your, your, it, it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. Inside the church who are sinning. Everybody say inside, inside. the church who are sinning. Is that another church verse on that? I think it's, it's, God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. Now, this is, this is what, what, what he's describing here is open, unrepentant, rebellious sin. This is not somebody who got caught up. This is not somebody who's remorseful. This is somebody who says, well, yeah, I, I don't really care what you say. This is what I'm going to do. Can we go to the next verse? That's it. God will judge those on the outside, but the scripture says, you must remove the evil person from among you. So what, what are they saying? He's saying disfellowship and remove him. What is the purpose of saying that? So that he will understand the, the seriousness of what he's involved in. Sometimes people don't understand the seriousness of what they're involved in because we tend to embrace their sin. I can love you and not love your sin. Okay? Is everybody with me? So, Paul said, I've already judged the man. So we ought to judge sin. We are not, we are, we, it's, not, it's above our pay grade to judge whether or not somebody's going to heaven or hell. Because you don't know. You think, I, I said the other day, when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised who's there. And we're going to be surprised who's not there. Because we tend to try to evaluate based off of outward action. You can do all the right things outward, but your heart is not right. God is judging the heart. Are y'all tracking with me? So the problem with discipline, let's watch this. A church that does not discipline is not yet a church. Just as a family that does not discipline is not fully a family. Because the absence of discipline undercuts, short circuits, and makes null and void the discipleship process. The absence of discipline says that we don't hold saints responsible for their lifestyles. And too many of our churches, as I said before, have become like social clubs or fraternities and sororities. We just can't get together and whatever's going to be, going to be. Now, 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 again, when this happens, invariably conflict will arise in the church when you start to exercise church discipline. So what, so what, what, is, what things should we not do when we have conflict? How many of y'all have conflict in your homes? How many of you have conflict on your job? Now, the word conflict, listen, it's, that, it's not necessarily a negative term unless we don't handle it right. All right, so how many of you have conflict on your job, conflict in the church, conflict in your home? If you're involved with anybody besides yourself, there's going to be conflict, the potential for conflict. Right? So, how... What are some things that we should not do, amen, if, if we have conflict? Because when we go to exercise church discipline in the discipleship process, invariably somebody who's not growing, somebody who's not aware of uh, what God wants in the body of Christ will, will think, like most people are saying nowadays, don't judge me. 
But we ought to judge sin. It's clear in the scripture we ought to judge sin in the church. Right? Paul says, disfellowship that guy. Well, hey, well, well, you know, who, who are you? We are the church. There is apostolic authority invested in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we use the Bible as our guide to handle church issues. We don't use Steve Harvey or Oprah or whoever you're listening to. Dr. Phil, we use the word of God. So what things should we not do when we have conflict? Number one, don't bury the problem or the pain that it's causing. Everybody said, don't bury the problem or the pain that it's causing. See, don't ever think that the answer to any conflict is to avoid it. Now, some of y'all out there are real, some of y'all because of your timid nature, because you, for some reason, because of your uh, family boy and your upbringing, you, you, you avoid conflict. You avoid like the play. It makes you so uncomfortable to the point to where you'll go along with stuff you know is not right. Because you don't want any conflict. You want everybody to be at peace. Let me tell you something. The Bible never said we're, we're to be uh, uh, peacekeepers. It didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. It says blessed are the peacemakers. And there's a difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. If you study Jesus' life, Jesus oftentimes brought conflict into the middle of a situation. Jesus oftentimes said you're going to be at odds with your mom and your daddy. When they're not walking in righteousness, okay? Don't bury the problem of pain it's causing. Don't ever think that the answer to any conflict is to avoid it or to bury the problem with denial. If you do, that hurt will grow and create even bigger problems in the future. How many of y'all know that's true? Don't bury the problem of the pain it's causing. But we got to be willing to do what the scripture says. Go with me to Matthew, the 18th chapter, verse 15 through 18. Y'all know this, but I, I got to remind you of it. Some of y'all right now, if, I were, if you were to be honest with me, and some people have trouble being honest. Some of y'all, in, some of y'all have uh, conflict with some people, and sometimes the, per, the person who you got conflict with don't even know it because you as a believer didn't do what the scripture says here. Matthew 18. Y'all there? Can we go? My time is running. I think I can complete these today. Do y'all believe me? <laughs> y'all doubt the prophet of God? <laughs> watch this, watch this. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you'll warn that person back. So the first rule of conflict is, if it's between you and another believer, I'd even say this. This works for even if you go to someone outside, but you ought to address it. But, but this is talking about the church here. Talking about believers. If another believer sins against you, go pri- pri- privately. It did not say go to social media and express your feelings and your thoughts. Lord Jesus, grow up. Throw it out. Everybody else may not know what's going on, but the person who, who you got the conflict with knows what's going on. And rather than 
being spiritually bold enough to say, okay, let's sit down. We got to talk about this. What you did there was wrong. Can we talk about it? All right, so if another believer sins against you, go private and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. This is Jesus talking. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Under the, under, the, under the old covenant law, they had to have two, two or three witnesses were there, it established it. Just like when you go to court, they want to have witnesses. It's better to have more than just one because one could lie. But if you got two or three witnesses who saw the same thing and expressed what they saw, then it, it, it solidifies the case against the person who committed the crime. But if you unsuccessful, take, take one or two other with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Next verse. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. And when it says the church here, I'm not talking about everybody here because everybody here is not. Some, some of y'all can't handle judging the situation because you're too emotional. You're going to go with whoever tells you the story first. When you're counseling somebody, make sure that you hear both sides of the story. Okay. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church, the church authority. Then if he or she won't accept, watch this now. Listen to this carefully. If he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or corrupt, corrupt tax collector. That's what Jesus said. So if the church governs your situation, the conflict between two believers, and then you won't accept that church's decision, Basically, what it's saying here, just like you said in the other passage, you can disfellowship them. Well, I didn't agree with it. You don't have to agree with it, but was it right? Based on the word of God. That's what Jesus said. So, if you got an alt between me and a brother, go to him one-on-one. If you still don't listen, take two or three other spiritual people. Don't take people who are not spirit-minded don't take people who go bring their knife with them. Take spiritually mature people who know how to handle conflict. So don't bury the problem or the pain it's causing. Number two, don't let confrontation digress into an attack on the other person's character. Don't let confrontation digress into an attack on the other person's character. Stay focused on the problem. Everybody say focus on the problem. Don't water down your argument by focusing on the other person's weaknesses or character. When you look at Exodus chapter 18, Moses would be akin to what I would say a New Testament pastor because he was a prophet. A prophet was a proclaimer of divine revelation. Exodus 18 unfolds. And y'all turn that right quick. Exodus 18, verse 13 through 18. Exodus 18, and I've shared it with y'all before. Uh, this, 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 it unfolds with a situation involving Moses in his leadership capacity among the children of Israel. When Moses' father-in-law Jethro became aware of the situation and how Moses was handling it, he had to speak up. He had to say, he had to say something. Moses' leadership role among the children of Israel kept him very busy. In fact, the scripture tells us that he was 
occupied from morning until evening. God had a solution for Moses' situation, and that solution came through the advice of his father-in-law. Now, therein would be a problem for some people right then. Your father-in-law or your mother-in-law told you something. Now, y'all have heard of all the mother-in-law jokes, haven't you? Have y'all heard of all the mother-in-law jokes? Where it's, it's, it's all, it seems to be that, that there's always a contentious relationship between mother-in-law and the son-in-law or the daughter-in-law. Doesn't have to be that way, but it happens quite a bit because sometimes you have a mother-in-law. I'm not saying any of y'all in this way. I ain't talking about nobody individually, but you know who you are. It's hard sometimes. Can we, can we, all parents here who have grown children, it's hard sometimes, if, we, if we're really honest about it, to, to remove ourselves and stay out of the middle of our children's life issues, right? Now, especially when they bring us in by asking us for money to try to solve a problem with some advice you'd already given them, but they, they ignore your advice, but they want your money, but they ignore you. But it's hard sometimes to, 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 because you love your child, to release them. The Bible says, therefore, when a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to the wife and two shall become one flesh. Not only mother-in-law, but father-in-law. But in this case, Moses' father-in-law came to him to give him some godly advice. And let me tell you something. Don't ever refuse godly advice just because you don't like the messenger. You may not necessarily like me, but receive what I'm saying when I'm preaching the word of God to you. And if you don't like me, well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, as I told you before, sometimes uh, there are going to be times when you get a little warm with me. And that's 10% of the time, 10% of the time, because I'm preaching gospel truth to you, it ought to make you a little bit warm in your seat. And I'm okay with that. I tell y'all I'm okay with that. I'm mad. I'm going to still hug you. I still hug you when I know you're talking about me. I still loan you some money when y'all know you talked about me. Now, if you keep talking, I ain't going to give you no more. <laughs> I was just joking. But now watch this. So, so sometimes it's what I'm saying is difficult sometimes for parents to detach and understand the relationship priorities. Okay. So, so, so make it up in your mind, parents, that you're not going to be that, that type of father-in-law, that type of mother-in-law who's all up in the middle of your child's adult business. Can we, can we, can we make that agreement? Because ultimately, sometimes you'll get burned. You don't show it out and you don't say what you're going to say. And you thought that you had impact and they still, you know, they're back together. Christian. Mm, mm, mm. And you at Sunday dinner look like this here. Because you remember what he told you or what she told you five weeks ago about what she said about you. Can I help somebody up in here today? All right, all right. So, uh, you can, I got one married daughter. Uh, I guess they're in the back, right? Tanya and Eddie, y'all in the back. Y'all better be in the back. Okay, I don't, I don't, we don't sing and lead church. I'm, they're in the back, watch but you can ask Tanya and Eddie, unless they invite me in, and I'm their pastor, I'm not going in. Now, there have been occasions where they have invited us in. 
But you can ask them. I'm not calling, what's going on over there? What decision you made there? I wouldn't have done that. No, no, no. They're going to live their life. And, 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 and when they want wise counsel, I'll give them wise counsel. Okay? Amen? Amen. I hope that helps somebody. I hope that helps somebody. The next day, Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning until evening. Lord Jesus. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning until evening? Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. And that was true, right? But look what the text says. Watch this. When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I'm the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. Watch this. You're going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. And let me tell y'all something. As a pastor of the church, y'all ain't going to kill me. That's why I'm trying to train you to be disciple makers. I need to have confidence that if I bring somebody to you, you're not going to mess them up with your advice. But I'm telling you, I can't have confidence in you if you're not even in discipleship training yourself because you don't get into the words yourself. You're going to tell them something based on what you feel, what you think. It may be based off of your upbringing and your family of origin, your cultural upbringing. I want, you to, I want to know that you're going to give biblical advice. But if you don't study yourself, you can't give biblical advice. But he says, you're going to weigh yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle by yourself. Watch this. Listen, listen. Now listen to me and let me give you a word of advice. And may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, which he was, bringing their disputes to him. But watch this. Teach them God's decrees and give them his instruction. Show them how to conduct their lives. And by God, that's what I'm trying to do as your pastor. Watch this. Look, look, look what he says. But select from all the people some capable, honest men, some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,150 and 10. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. So, so, so Moses took the advice of his father-in-law. So because they're your in-laws don't mean they don't have good advice. Number three, don't use inflammatory remarks, sarcasm, or name-calling. Don't generalize or exaggerate. When you use any of these in an argument or a conflict, it completely changes the focus of the conflict, causing the other person to defend himself or make excuses, thereby drawing the attention away from the real issue. It will always cause them to not hear anything you're saying. Inflammatory remarks. Sarcasm. Yeah, I bet you did do that. Or I bet you don't like that. Whatever. Uh, uh, name calling. Quit calling folks names other than their real name or their nickname. 
if you know their nickname. But don't, don't, don't call people out of their names. It hurts my heart to hear how some spouses talk to each other. I just can't fathom living with somebody and they calling me a something that rhymes with a witch. I can't fathom living with somebody who's going to call me out of my name. You can ask this later. We've been married over 37 years and I have never I said never call her anything but Moraria or Poochie or Maymay or Sweet Thing or Good Looking or what else I got? Okay. That private stuff, that private stuff. Seven years. As a born again believer, I have no right to do nothing more than honor her, even when I don't agree with her, even when she makes me mad. I'm gonna still honor her because the Bible told me to love her like Christ loved the church, and I gotta do that, even when my feelings may want to cut up. Never call out her name. And never will. So some of y'all go check yourself. You think you're all right with God, but you hating on people. You you are sadly mistaken. Mm. Y'all, I can't finish. Y'all were right. And Tony, you on the front with my you ain't gonna finish. So they, they've been with me for a long Listen, here's what I would tell y'all. Will y'all come back next week? I, the reason why I, I preach this way, because sometimes while, while I'm up here, God just brings some stuff out of me. And I hope somebody was helped today. And we're going to keep going, and we're going to keep talking about how to handle conflict and how to, how, to, how to receive the discipline of the Lord. Jesus gave his life so that you and I could be positioned to represent him, to identify with him. So we'll be in a position where we can train others to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to become a disciple-making church. And that involves each one of you all being willing to say, Pastor, I give up the way I want to do things. I want to do it God's way. I want to be in a position where God can use me to reach somebody else. I want to be in a position where I, I, I'm, I'll open my home to bring somebody in, to share with them, to feed them, uh, to, to spend some time with them so I can talk with them, uh, or I'll go to lunch with them, whatever. I, I, I want to make myself available to be used by God to reach people. And whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, you can do this. Jesus gave his life so that you and I could be positioned to be his dis- disciplined ones. Are you willing to yield your life to him? Every head bowed, everybody closed. Father, we thank you.